Thinking aloud. Conversations on the leading edge of knowledge and discovery with psychologist Jeffrey Mishlove. Hello and welcome. I'm Jeffrey Mishlove. Today we'll be exploring the nature of conspiracy theories. My guest is Daryl Robert Schoon. He is the author of Light in a Dark Place, The Prison Years. He is also author of a novel, You Can't Always Get What You Want. He is a minister in the Church of Universality in Tucson, Arizona, a spiritualist church. Now, there are three previous interviews with Daryl on this channel, one about metaphysics, another one about spiritualism, another one about money, but they've all been leading up to the interview that we are about to have now on the nature of conspiracy theories. Welcome. Thank you for having me, Jeffrey. I'm uh, delighted to be with you, Daryl. You're one of my oldest friends. Yeah. And even though we see each other only <laughs> once a decade yes, or once every five years. If you, and if you live long enough as we have, it's, it adds up. It, it, but it's always a delight. It's always a delight. On this and uh, because of the fact that you were in prison, in a gentleman's prison, so to speak. And I, I call it um, club fed. Um, I call it the penalty box of the stars. Uh-huh. That's where Erkman and Haldeman were sent. And when Haldeman was, he was one of the... Um, uh, Nixon's, you know, chief aide. Yeah. When he was sent to prison, he ended up at Lompoc. Right. That's where I started out at. Yeah. And they had a, and there were rumors that he had a golf course there. Well, he didn't. He did have a golf hole. They did for the uh-huh. center of the track. Yeah. They came and built him a two, three hundred yard. I don't know how big that thing was with a hole and a putty yeah. green and everything around it. And the day he got released from prison, they mowed it under. Isn't that interesting? Well, you've seen a lot of things from that vantage point, and and not everybody is uh, capable of understanding what they're seeing. Not everybody is privileged to uh, have such an opportunity and to survive it the <laughs> the way you have. You you've come back, I I would say, strong and wise. Mm. From that experience, mm-hmm. uh, it doesn't always work out that way. Thank you for your perspective. <laughs> Before, I just felt I was battered. <laughs> but uh, you've been kind of uh, really where th- uh, my desire to invite you to discuss conspiracy theories is because you let it me know through uh, something you had written that you were really kind of caught up in the middle of a conspiracy theory. And because of your background in metaphysics and spiritualism, I thought you would be the ideal person to discuss not just this particular conspiracy, which I think is, even though it involves some $400 million, is still pretty trivial, but the notion of conspiracy in general. Yes. That's what I want to get at. It, it's fascinating that that was your response to it, because um, for the purpose of our viewers, I had sent you a book I had just written, the manuscript, it's being, it's going to, we're going to publish it later this year, mm-hmm. called Letter to House Intelligence Committee, Atten- you know, Attention Adam Schiff. Yeah. And it involves a story that I was involved in, personally involved in. My f- f- The first week I get to prison, I meet uh, Howard Hughes' former banker. And because of his situation, he tells me a story months later that he never intended to tell anyone. Within a year, I am reading corroboration to this in the LA Times. No one knows about it. I'm reading corroboration. And this is a conspiracy. This is the conspiracy I wrote you about. Mm-hmm. So I sent it to you and you respond and you said, quite fascinating. And then you said, Daryl, this could be the subject for an, a, a talk between us about conspiracies, about conspiracies in general. And I think this is what you said, I think literally, but correct me if I'm wrong. Mm-hmm. I am not one to believe in conspiracies. Yeah. Te- I'm prone to. Yeah. But we all know they happen. Mm-hmm. Perhaps we just should discuss the subject. Mm-hmm. And I thought, what a brilliant subject. And what a way to enter into this. Yeah. And then I thought, well, how do we do this? So I've come up with my entry into this. Mm-hmm. Okay. Now, Jeffrey, imagine that you, along with I, and all these other people, men and women, are chained in a cave. Our necks are chained to the wall. Our legs are chained to the wall. We cannot move. We cannot move our heads. 
and we cannot talk to each other. Okay. Well, we can't, we can't, we can't, we can't, we can't see each other. Okay. Okay. Sounds like something out of Plato. Yes, exactly. Mm-hmm. And that behind us, there is a fire and people are carrying objects in front of the fire. So the light from the fire projects these images onto the wall in which you and I and everyone else sees. This is exactly Plato's meta, meta, allegory of the cave, yes. metaphor of the cave. Yes. All right? And we don't know what's happening. And the people who are carrying the objects are talking, and we hear that, and we think these are the voices of the objects in front of us. Yeah. So we begin trying to explain, because we can't talk to each other directly, what's going on. All we see are shadows. All we see is shadows. Yeah. But the, the wise among us come up with these great theories, mm-hmm. explaining what is happening. And so eventually we begin to accept that those theories are true. Mm-hmm. All right? And so it is mm-hmm. in the cave. Well, one day, one of us is escapes. In fact, he's forced to the top by the allegory. All right? Because when he first got away and, and freed himself, he went outside and his eyes hurt. He looked he looked at the fire and he didn't believe what he was saying. Seeing. And he then began to think, okay, this is better. This is the way it is. And he didn't leave. In 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 Plato's story, in, in in Plato's story, he's forced up to the top. Yes, forced to the top. His eyes hurt. He's getting out, and and he doesn't believe the reality that he's out there, the real world. Mm-hmm. But as he watches and he stays in this real world, the real not in the cave anymore, and he sees the stars and the trees and the plants, he realizes this is real, and not the cave. Okay, right. And so he's filled with a great compassion to tell. The rest of us left in the cave. The prisoners. The prisoners. Going up. The prisoners. And he comes down to tell us. And he shows up and he looks like hell. (laughs) And his eyes hurt because now he's in the cave and he can't see. And he's going like this, which we attribute to where he's been from. Oh, this man's damaged by Mm -hmm. his experience because he's blinded. And then he starts telling us about this other world, about out there. Now, Jeffrey, that's what you and I would think of as a conspiracy theory. Well, it's brilliant, uh, actually. I mean, Plato's cave seems to be suggesting that we're we're all deluded. Yes. Now, I believe Plato's right. Mm-hmm. I absolutely believe he's right, and that we. And I've said this before that here on the planet Earth we are uh, victims. This is a this is tantamount to being in a cosmic outpatient clinic, and because everybody suffers from the same mental disease, which I call EDS, egoic dissociative syndrome which is so pervasive and so deep that once you succumb to egoic pervasive syndrome, you're totally off base about everything. E- egoic dissociative syndrome. Right. The ego is, dis- the sense of self is dissociated from source. It's not separate because it never can be separated from source. Nothing can separate itself from the source. But the ego can dissociate it from source mm-hmm. and believe itself alone, at risk, and at hazard. Yeah. All right, and this is what I think everybody on the earth suffers from. We think mental illness is only res- is a term that we should only be reserved to those who are not ambulatory. I believe even the ambulatory among us <laughs> suffer from EDS, mm-hmm. and because everybody suffers from it, we don't recognize it. Mm-hmm. All right, so this person returns from the outer world and tells us about how it is, and we think he's crazy. We think this is a conspiracy theory. Why does the mind think anything that does that it does not already accept is a conspiracy theory? Because the mind distrusts anything it does not already believe. If the mind or the egos are told that the that the earth does not that the sun does not revolve around the earth, the mind is going to go bullshit. This is a conspiracy theory. This guy Copernicus or Galileo, he's making this up. In, in fact, Galileo uh, was uh, silenced by the church, punished by the church. Yes, because he had a theory that did not meet with the common gestalt yeah. and was rejected by it right. and believed it to be, it was, it was and, and everybody mm-hmm. who got on later was part of this, became part of this conspiracy mm-hmm. theory. Everybody who believed with Galileo became associated with Galileo's conspiracy theory. Okay. Now, so it is with the human mind. Everybody who comes up with a different theory about why things are happening is dismissed as a conspiracy theory by the mind. Or as a theory, mm-hmm. because it doesn't like anything new. Or a crackpot Or a crackpot theory. theory. And the truth is this. Some of us are now become really disposed to crackpot theories. Yeah. The rest of us, the rest of the gestalt, 
try and stay away from it because we don't want to go there for a reason. And this is the topic of our discussion. Yeah. I believe that the topic of our discussion about conspiracies, why we, why we don't believe the ones that are and our, and our attitudes about them are because we are of our fear. We are afraid that the world is not what we think it is. And when any alternate resp- views got put in, mm-hmm. we, we shove them out. We just want the world to be what we think it is. Mm-hmm. We are going to defend the world as we think it is, no matter what we think it is. The Muslims, the Catholics, the atheists, the agnostics, the libertarians, the hard right, the hard do, die hard Stalinists are all going to reject any theories that challenge their paradigm. And, and the deeper, and, and the more devious it is, or the deeper it is, they're more going to say it's a conspiracy theory. Mm-hmm. Now, that's the general gestalt. Okay. What has appeared in the general gestalt is a s- sudden attraction for a, a segment of the gestalt, of the coal, to believe in theories. Any theory! Crackpot! Anything! Anything that they are being manipulated, anything they don't trust power, they don't trust anything. All they trust is their fear reflected back to them by their own little world that they live in. Mm-hmm. All right? Now, this is because when they lose their trust in the Gestalt, to such a degree, they feel betrayed and don't know what to believe at all. Mm-hmm. All right? So, we've got two groups of people. The general Gestalt that doesn't even want to think about it because of how... <laughs> The implications of they're it. They're so flaky. They're, yeah. They believe they're flaky. Yeah. But they don't look at it. And, and you know, we live in an era in which our mainstream culture has done so much, especially in the realm of technology. It seems as if, you know, the universities, the business institutions, the religious institutions know what they're doing. Yes. They want you to believe. There, there, there's a there's a, a, a fun, there's a foundation of belief in the, in the present institutions that they don't want challenged. Mm-hmm. Now, what brought this thing to your attention was my book. Yes. Well, I, well, I've also I, I have to say this. I hear from viewers. Yes, and <laughs> I'm sure you do. I, I know we okay. we we get well over a hundred viewer comments every day, and I read them. Okay. All right. So, because I think it's a, a good window into the psyche of, of the general population worldwide. Okay. And I think it's true. <clears throat> All right. That you get, you, you're, you're monitoring the feedback and you see this stuff going on. Although some, some of your viewers are prone to any conspiracy theory. I would say, uh, maybe not. Yeah, I don't know. I, I don't know if that I go that far, but I will you know say why? that I've heard dozens and dozens uh, of different conspiracy theories promulgated by viewers. Okay, now that's the difference between your viewership and mine. Mm-hmm. I talk about money, yeah, hardcore money, and I've always said that it's a conspiracy of the bankers and government to suppress us and just profit off. Labor and productivity. We just completed an hour, hour long discussion about that. I thought it was quite cogent and very passionate on your part, too. Okay. Cause, you know, irrespective of whether it's true, I believe it. Yeah. And, and because I have put this out there, a, a huge segment that I've attracted to me are of the conspiracy types. Mm-hmm. Huge segment. Mm-hmm. Unlike yours. I think, I, I think, that any general viewership is going to get all this stuff about conspiracy. I think mine is more particularly prone. Okay. Male, distress of authority. I have quantified their fears in a very realistic ways, and I put them up there, and they bought it. Mm-hmm. Well, I think they bought the truth, because I'm not trying to convince them that they should be afraid of everything. I'm just saying in this one area, the bankers and government yeah. For self-interest, have colluded to manipulate the financial system at, so they benefit and we don't. That's all there is to it. Very simple. All right? And understandable from a human point of view. We're talking about the other conspiracies. We're talking about the crackpot conspiracies. We're, or what we consider crackpot conspiracies. Do we consider the, the conspiracy of aliens trying to take over this planet a crackpot theory? Well, the ones who don't believe it consider it a crackpot theory. Yeah. The ones who believe it consider it 
a valid explanation of why things are the way they are. Mm -hmm. And when we had our first discussion about this topic, about our, our filtering of theories, I brought up a theory that, that there's a theory that exists out there that humanity itself has been, their, our minds have been taken over by a foreign force, making, rendering us complicit in the fear that's going on and making us less than we truly are. And you said, really? I said, yes. And the source of this, J Jeffrey, is Don Juan Matus. Oh, Carlos Castaneda. Carlos Castaneda's teacher. Uh-huh. Who told Carlos Castaneda? He said, you know, Carlos, he said, human beings are not as small as we think we are. We're not as petty. That's not our real nature. We've become so. We've been made so by what, what he calls the foreign installation. This foreign installation lives off of us. All right. And uses our psychic energy to thrive by keeping us in fear and keeping us off balance and making us petty. This is well, Colin Wilson, uh, the philosopher, wrote a novel once called The Mind Parasites, okay. along the same line. Okay. You get a similar idea in ancient Gnosticism. Yes, exactly. Now, what I believe is this, to put it in the current metaphor of computers, Yeah. Um, when you boot up, I think we've been infected by a virus. Mm -hmm. I think Jesus may have been right when he said, ye are gods. Okay? Mm -hmm. But what God in his right mind would create a reality like this? None. But a God in his wrong mind would possibly do something <laughs> as bad as this. Okay. All right? Now, the, the, although I have to say this, I am under the impression that from the point of view of the universe at large, this planet and all of its ups and downs and suffering and joy is neither good nor bad. It just is. That's the point of view. Yeah. I believe yeah. that the point of view of the universe is the suffering in here has been tragic. All right? Mm -hmm. That the universe is love itself. All right? But suffering, it seems to be a natural part of us growing and learning. Okay. So suffering by itself is not bad. Mm -hmm. But it is not the intent of the universe to make us suffer. Because of what we've done, the only way, way out apparently is through suffering. Yeah. But the predilection of the universe is love, joy, and happiness. Yeah. Okay? Okay. Now, I've often told myself, for example, that we have to grow, and we have a choice. We can grow joyfully if we choose to, but if we don't choose to grow joyfully, we will grow painfully. Now, that was like our metaphor. Yeah. You heard a, a belief or thought that you're going to spend some time in prison, yeah. and you could either accept it or not. And you said, I'm going to accept it, and you went into prison, and you taught courses there. I, because of my own personality, I go, screw this stuff. I wouldn't accept it. I ended up in prison and stuff, but I learned a lot from. Mm -hmm. Now, what my metaphor is this. You probably learned much more than I did. Well, I was supposed to, I think. I, <laughs> at least, I learned well, it. you in, were there longer, I too. was longer. <laughs> I was there longer. But what my belief is this, is that there is a virus, computer virus. Yeah. And what, what, what I believe is there's what I call the universal operating system. Mm -hmm. <sighs> Without limit. In constraint, in construct, in, 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 in do, in everything. It is everything. That's the universal, the universal operating system contains everything within it, the formed and unformed. Okay. Now, you and I and everybody else on earth right now it has access to the universal operating system, but we're not using it as our default operating system. Mm -hmm. We're using what I call a temporary operating system. <laughs> All right? Yeah. All right. A temporary item system that is booted up at birth, mm -hmm. that got data in that it didn't understand, and it created a picture of the universe. It didn't create the universe. It created a picture of the universe yeah. that it reflects back to the dissociated ego and tells our dissociated ego, this is real. Now, we have no other experience because we are plugged into this, trapped by uh -huh. this personal operating we system. We are the prisoner of our own thoughts. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. And we are led to believe that thinking is going to get us out of it. All right? If we think right, we're going to, we're going to figure it out. What thinking does, because it's tautological, it leads to its own... Tautological. tautological. It leads yeah. to its own itself. It leads yeah. to itself. Mm -hmm. It's a loop. Yeah. So being in the loop... The more intelligent of us are going to have a more complex 
world, not a way out, but it's just going to have more stuff in it. A more complex prison. A more complex prison than the simpler prison of the simpler people, but a prison nonetheless. Mm -hmm. Now, there's a thing called ontology, which is a way of where the mind can interrupt and break through the, but those only happen intermittently. Ontology. Ontology. Ontological. Okay. That there is a, a, a breakthrough of the universal operating system into the personal operating system. Oh, all right, because I would use the word ontology a little differently. differently. Okay. Many times on this program, we talk about ontology as the branch of philosophy dealing with the ultimate nature of things. Okay. I would say the ultimate nature of things in an operative sense breaks through the personal operating system. It has the potential. Uh-huh. It has the potential yeah. to break through. In other words, reality. Yes. Reality pushes through. Yeah. Into the version of reality that each one of us carries as reality. Mm-hmm. All right? Yeah. Now, th- because we are trapped by our own, I, I this is my theory, mm-hmm. that I and my viewers, the ones who are prone to conspiracy theories, yeah. are trapped by our own minds. Sure. And we project this being trapped out on parents, society, religion, politics, everything. Bankers, bankers, government, money. Everybody has somebody to blame. blame. Everybody Mm -hmm. has somebody to blame. Because we are all trapped. And based on how we are feeling oppressed, we blame some Women blame men. Now, I don't say that men are not blamed. In fact, the male polarity has a lot of blame, carrying blame forward in Mm -hmm. this reality. Because the polarity is trying to learn to balance itself. Mm -hmm. And in learning to balance itself, it has made a huge amount of mistakes. Mm -hmm. All right? And it's trying to correct it. That's my belief now about the universe. The universe is really making a hard attempt to correct itself through us. Through us. We are a reflection of the big. Mm -hmm. As above, so below. As below, so above. We are the meeting of it, of the micro and the macro. Mm-hmm. So the conflict that it's going, that we're going through is a reflective of that conflict. The resolution that we're going through on a personal level is a reflection of the resolution that it's going through on the bigger level. All right? Now, I believe that because, because of how I've tried to sell this story about the, the uh, conspiracy that I know about, mm-hmm. And then it, evolve, involves, it also involves 9-11. Mm-hmm. And I know a lot about this stuff. And I see a general intense desire to not deal with it. Mm-hmm. In, it in fact, I thought it was very interesting. You pointed out that uh, Therion, the banker, you, you talked to eventually, uh, uh, he was trying to, in effect, blackmail the Republicans to get him out of prison. Yes. And, and told they, me the story. They, they ignored him because they said, nobody will believe him anyway. Yes. And they were right. Uh-huh. They and, were right. Yeah. And he had all the data. Mm-hmm. The 33, the book that I sent you, when you read those telexes yeah. and the letters to the French bankers, I think you realized something was going on. Yeah, there was a lot, a lot of evidence. There was a tremendous amount of evidence. Yeah. All right? I have carried that story and tried to tell Bob Woodward, you know. Woodward, the Woodward, journalist. The journalist. Yeah. A&E reports, okay, all these news outlets, mm. and they don't want to hear it. They don't want to hear it. And I've told people, and they don't want to hear it either, in a way. Yeah. They're like, well, and first that's of all, quite, it puts a lot of a burden on them because then they have to do the research to verify. Or they just have to look at it. Yeah. I made it easy. Uh-huh. My book makes it real easy, yeah, Jeff. Because you Does have it, everything lined it's up. It's everything right there. Yeah. You could read my book and go, holy smokes. What my book does, mm-hmm. it shows the reader evidence of a crime they didn't under, they didn't know happened. Yeah. But the evidence is overwhelming mm-hmm. that it happened. And it leads them to evidence of a crime that they know happened that they don't want to look at, yeah. which is even far bigger than the first crime. Mm-hmm. And that's why your question of conspiracies, our response to them, why and why is our response quite interesting. Mm-hmm. Now, this attempt out of the gate is my last attempt. Fate handed me this 
story. Here I am, I graduate in political science, as cynical as any person is about the power structure. I mean, I'm not going, oh, they wouldn't do that. They killed Kennedy. They really killed Kennedy because they were trying. No, I already believe that. I already believe that Kennedy, you know, when he, when he, when he was, he accepted the Democratic promotion, you know, for the presidency, mm-hmm. for the, the, uh, not promotion, but the nomination. nomination. Yeah. He and Bobby got a phone call before the, 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 uh, event. And they said, you will not be, you will not get the nomination unless you accept Lyndon Baines Johnson as your running mate. The Kennedys hated Lyndon Baines Johnson. They hated him. That's pretty well documented, okay. yeah. I mean, not the phone yeah. call, but the, but, but the animosity. Yeah, anyway. And they got that phone call. Mm-hmm. And they wanted power, because without it, what are they going to do? Yeah. He becomes a president, and one of the first things that Kennedy did was they issued $20 million of silver-backed U.S. currency in 1962. The first time this was ever issued since the Fed took over the, the banking. Silver certificates. Silver-backed money. Yeah. Real money issued not from the Fed, but from the current, from the Treasury. Oh. Ever since the Fed, which is a conglomeration of foreign banks, took over the Federal Reserve, yeah. the Treasury never issued a dime. It was all Federal Reserve notes. Issued in the form of loans to the c- commercial banks. Okay. Kennedy took office, and the powers that be knew that his father and the Kennedy boys hated the Federal Reserve. They hated the bankers. They knew exactly what they were doing. One of the first acts that he did was issue, because the Treasury held had all the silver. Okay. So they issued $20 million in currency from the U.S. Treasury, the first time the Treasury had acted in that capacity in 50 years. In 1913, the Fed took over all the currency operations of the Treasury. The Treasury had issued U.S. money for since, what is it, 1776. Uh-huh. 1913, they stopped. Okay. The Fed came in. The Kennedys got elected. The first thing, one of the first things they did was issue $20 million of money out of the Treasury backed by silver owned by the Treasury. Okay. One year later, Kennedy was dead. Shot. One of the first acts that Lyndon Baines Johnson did was recall all the silverback money and sold the silver off in the treasury so we could never issue silverback money again. Now, you don't know that. No. I know you don't. You know why? Nobody does, except the very few, and I'm among them because I'm conspiratorially inclined. Now, I do not believe... I don't believe most of the conspiracies that many of the people who read my writings believe. I believe most of them are crap. And I know why they believe them. I know the desperate believe anything when they're looking for desperate change. But I I know what I know. Mm -hmm. And I'm able to differentiate between that and that. When I was busted, you know, when the the guns came out, they tried to turn me. The feds did. Mm -hmm. To cooperate. Mm -hmm. So there I am, locked up in a... (laughs) Not my best day. Handcuffed. Handcuffed. In the seat next to the agent who's driving me across the Golden Gate Bridge to the federal building where he's going to book me. <laughs> he's trying to have a conversation with me. All right. And he said, you know, do you know who killed Kennedy? They've done research on me. Mm-hmm. Yeah. you got to get on Daryl's good side. He's very political. Well, you know what? I couldn't give a shit at that point. <laughs> But he's, you know, he's charged with trying to right. get me to... He's trying to get you to talk. To talk. Loosen you Loosen up a little. Yeah. yeah. So I'll cooperate. Mm-hmm. Give, up, give up everybody I know and who they are and cooperate and turn state's evidence against them. Sure. Okay, that's the deal. There was a lot of pressure, right? There was a lot of pressure. Mm-hmm. And I said, no. And he said, well, you know, he said, I was in the Army. And after I got back from Vietnam, I was in, uh, in a... Texas State Task Force that was charged with looking into the assassination of Kennedy. And he said, you know what we concluded? LBJ was behind it. Now, I had already read things to that effect. Hmm. I read, you know, Billy Joe Ray Estes talked about all the people. They said, they said, Johnson killed his sister. 
along with all these other people. He was bloodthirsty when he came to power. He didn't care. He just wanted the power. But I didn't care. But he told me that their task force had come to that conclusion. Now, and, and I've heard re- many other theories. theories. And yeah. I don't care. Yeah. But I don't believe a single bullet shot by Oswald went around all those times and did that damage. And most Americans don't believe it anymore either. Yeah. They didn't know what to believe when it happened. Mm-hmm. But they were it, they had a jam down their throat. Now, many Americans heard that right after 9-11 that the, they found evidence of enormous millions of dollars of puts being put on United Airlines and American Airlines, the two airlines that were involved in the crashes. Yeah. Puts are bets that the stocks are going to go down. Right. All right? All this, oh, somebody was trying to profit because the, the bets were placed there weeks before on the two airlines. They were traced to Alec Brown and company. All right? A trading unit of Deutsche Bank in Germany. The head of that trading unit was a relative of Buzz Krongard, a CIA agent, a long-standing CIA agent who resigned shortly thereafter. They never pursued it. Never pursued it. The media didn't. There was no outcry. People didn't go, hey, follow this up. Nothing. All right? Now, another thing. The planes that went down in the World Trade Center... They had black boxes. All right. Remember that flight that went, crashed in the mid-Atlantic? It was flying from Argentina to Europe. All right. It was a big airliner around 10 years ago. Oh, I don't remember. Well, they went all the yeah. way down to the bottom of the ocean and found the black box. Mm-hmm. All right. That's how important those black boxes are in reconstructing what happened. Right. They never found and looked for the black boxes in the planes that hit the World Trade Center. Mm. They never found and looked for the black boxes that allegedly was in the plane in Pennsylvania that went down. All right? Now, I know this stuff, Jeffrey. And if other people wanted to know it, they could know it too. Mm -hmm. They could, but they don't want to know it. And I understand it. It's fear. It's fear. Well, it's also the question of, suppose you do know, as you say you know, so what? What are you going to do with that knowledge? Exactly. You're true. What are you going to do about it? Well... Maybe if, this is crazy, this is exactly what the socialists feel. If enough people were socialists, we wouldn't have a capitalist system. Well, that's not true. And you're absolutely right. If you did know about it, to the degree I know about it, I, you, what can you do about it? Because the truth is, I haven't been able to do anything about it, and I know more about this stuff in this level than other people do. Mm-hmm. What I sent you was my last gasp. Yeah. My last gasp on this story that Norman handed me in prison. Mm-hmm. And if it doesn't make it, it's not meant to. And the possibility may be, because of the disarray of Trump, because of the disbelief of the American power structure, because of the inability of Americans to digest what's going on, maybe this down their craw may go, well, maybe this is true too. Maybe they're... They're, they're so shell-shocked by the events of the last year and seeing what they never believed to be true to be true, possibly, that they're going to be open to the, this last little bit. Now, which gets into the thing of, a consp- of our whole gestalt about conspiracies and fear, mm-hmm. which leads me back to the thing of, listen, perhaps this story won't move anything. Perhaps it won't get anything done. And it leads back to, well, what can be done if there is a foreign installation on our minds? On our minds. Yeah. The mind parasite. The mind parasite. Yeah. Because I believe it's, I believe not necessarily the mind, the story, the science fiction thing, but I do believe, because I really believe Don Juan. And I really do believe Carlos Castaneda. I really believe it. All right. And I believe it in a way that I didn't believe when I first started reading this stuff in the seventies. Mm-hmm. And I've read all the the naysayers. Why they believe his wife said, well, he made this stuff up. Other people say he made this stuff up. So I remember when I first started reading Carlos Castaneda in the 70s. And I knew people were saying, he's making this shit up. And I'm going, you know what? If he's making this up, he's saying a lot more truth than I've read anywhere else. Mm-hmm. I mean, his insights, Don Juan's insights into humanity, into how... I, I, in the incredible way that his little band of followers, disconnected to 
Judeo-Christian thought, disconnected to Hindu mythology, disconnected to theosophy, disconnected to everything that I was familiar with in my own line of inquiry. Mm -hmm. He said things were absolutely astounding in terms of insight into real power and the lack of it. And my understanding is that uh, the teachings of Don Juan, uh, whether true or false, whether Castaneda made it up or not, uh, I at one time heard the great anthropologist Margaret Mead say, as far as she was concerned, it was totally consistent with the uh, global shamanistic tradition. And uh, I think as as well as consistent as we mentioned earlier with Gnostic traditions. Yes. Yes. So now what we have is this. We have, because Don Juan was a part of the, this Gnostic indigenous thought yeah. of spirit. Mm-hmm. Everything is alive. Mm-hmm. Everything is alive. When he was talking to, to Carlos Castaneda about mescaline, he took it. He got, he, under very yeah. ritualistic things, right. this graduate student from UCLA takes mescaline with Don Juan. Yeah. And what I loved about it, he said, Carlos Castaneda, at one point, Don Juan looked at, looked at Carlos Castaneda and he said, Carlos, you think I'm a stupid Indian, don't you? <laughs> now, here's this graduate student writing this PhD. Oh, no, no. I he said, yes, you do. I know exactly what you think. And I don't think less of you. I just want to tell you that you think I'm a stupid Indian. It's all right with me, whatever you think of me. I don't care what you think of you. Holy smokes. You know, how could you not think this Indian knows less than you if you're heir to the Western study of science and observation and data research and what makes it to the top and what makes it to the filter of what's true or not? When you're doing field research by asking a an Indian that you met at a Greyhound bus station that somebody pointed out that he may be a man of knowledge. The Indians consider this a man of knowledge. And for some reason, he starts talking to you. And for some reason, he starts telling you these things. Yeah. And the fact that you've told me that Margaret Mead's reaction to what Carlos Castaneda wrote makes me feel good mm. about my own tenuous assumptions about what's true. Yeah. Because what is true, what they believe to be true, is not in line at all with the Western mythos that you and I are heir to and have dabbled around in and read and discussed. All right, because they represent the margins of society. They represent the very margins yeah. of our society, yeah. but not theirs. No, they represent the core of a marginalized army of thought. Yeah. They represent the core of a of a tradition that goes to the roots of human, the roots of consciousness. They they represent a core of a pure thought form yeah. that we have dismissed as as primitive. As simple, as culturally interesting, but intellectually irrelevant. And the fact that Margaret Mead read his stuff, it makes me feel good, what you just told mm-hmm. me. I'm glad for that. Now, in my 70s, <laughs> I am now rereading things. Of Car- I've got two books going with Carlos Castaneda right now. Mm-hmm. The Eagle's Gift, which came later, and his first book. The Teachings of Don Juan, right. Ayaki, his very first book. Yeah. And I'm reading both of them mm-hmm. currently. And I'm reading with them with a different mind. I'm reading them with the mind of now 70 years of <laughs> ticking around with this stuff. All right? Going to prison, meditating, um, continuing to read, continuing to explore. And and you know what he told Carlos about the mescaline? This is what I want to tell okay. you about. And this is in the first book. Mm-hmm. Because Carlos is trying to get him to tell him everything about Mesca. And Don Juan won't. He said, why won't you tell me? You're not ready. He said, well, what's going to happen to me? He said, how can I tell you what what Mescalito will tell you? I don't want to know. I don't know what Mescalito will tell you. Mm -hmm. But I know he was very different with you. Yeah. Now, and and Carlos goes, why? He said, I have no idea. But he was different with you, Carlos. Mm -hmm. And he said, and he tells Carlos, he said, listen, Carlos, there are many paths. There's many paths of our people. And I'm not one to tell you what you should do on your path. But whatever you do, do it to the fullest of your belief until it no longer becomes your path. And then when your path changes, change with full intent. Don't hedge here and don't hedge there. 
All right? Because you'll learn the most by fully embracing your path. And he said, now I don't, I cannot tell you what path to choose because there are a multitude of paths out there. But my advice is this, Carlos, choose the path with heart. Here is an Indian, a man of knowledge. In fact, when we go to to Nogales, I also told Martha, I said, I want you to take a picture of me in the bus station. Because <laughs> this is where they, met, they eh? met. Oh. Just like when I was in at the Sun King's Palace in France. Yes. And I'm walking down those stairs. I thought, I perhaps am walking down the same stairs that St. Germain walked in. Because he was given a laboratory at the Palace of the Sun King. Mm. That I am walking in his stairs. Which is the same thought that I had after I was at... Uh, the uh, the famous French uh, press duck place, um, uh, not Taliban or Letois, but it's it's quite famous. And I and after I went there to the bathroom, I realized they they only had one toilet seat. It's old wooden toilet seat, mm-hmm. old hotel, old 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 restaurant. And I said, sitting there, I said, you know what? I've sat on the same seat that kings, ministers, and dukes, the men of power and influence of wealth, have sat on. Right? Yeah. So, there's only because there's only one toilet seat there. So, if they had to go to the bathroom at that French restaurant, I mm-hmm. sat there with them. And prostitutes. And prostitutes. <laughs> no, this is a men's toilet seat. Oh, okay. Well, they could have been male prostitutes. I see. At a very expensive <laughs> restaurant. Yeah. So, the thing is, is that Don Juan's advice to Carlos is that choose the path with heart. Mm-hmm. Now, what a wonderful bit of advice. It is. All right? Mm-hmm. And so, I don't care... Of the naysayers, the people who found holes in his, you know, reasons to doubt him. And the fact that, because I don't believe he should believe Carlos just because of what he says, either. I believe, as Don Juan says, if this path is for you, it's going to resonate with you. And if it isn't, it won't resonate with you. Well, I'm 74 years old, and I've been on this path, on this planet, for quite some time. And... Very few people believe the way I believe. But I'm not requiring them to believe the way I would do. I don't want them to believe the way I believe. If they're on the same path that I am, I would like to be them to be on the path for the same reasons. That certain things happened to them in their life. That certain people told them certain things that they considered absurd and yet upon closer inspection turned out to be true. Mm-hmm. I know that I know from from your book, Roots of Consciousness, that you gave equal credence to spiritual phenomena, to psychic phenomena. I totally disbelieved it for decades until I got to Tucson. And then when I fell into it, I fell into it in the middle of it. I fell down the rabbit hole. Yeah. All right? Mm -hmm. So now I believe it. And I didn't believe it before. Mm -hmm. So who am I to say what you should believe and what not to believe? I know that my belief has has come to me by circumstance. As much it is by intellectual bullshit thinking. You know? I'm not one, I'm not here to decry intellectual thought. But more than most, I know it's limitation. And it's allure. And it's arrogance. And the belief that you're right. And what it does to you as a human being. Believing that you're right and everybody else is wrong. I know more than most how blinding that can be and how isolating that can be. That we can not only create our own mental illness, but we can refine it. We can refine these little discrete worlds of separate perceptual experience that is at odds with everybody else's. And it can lead us to into a basic personal psychosis. We've isolated ourselves from it. The egoic dissociative syndrome can take itself to an extreme degree and separate yourself from children, from flowers, from animals, from nature, from life, from its source. And that's all I would say, Jeffrey, is that conspiracies are like everything else. When you're confronted with something that you don't know and don't understand, that might be true. It might be you to look there. And find something about the world that you live in. Just to find it out. Rather than live in the carefully constructed construct that we do. Every day we filter information. 
Why? We filter it because we basically want to feel better. Well, we'd be overwhelmed if we, we, no, we didn't. truly would. But I believe at the basis of each of one of our perceptual models mm-hmm. is the desire to find stability where there is none. We construct. We have constructed an illusion. I believe that the Hindus were right that what we that the worlds that we live in are carefully constructed illusory models mm-hmm. of reality. Yep. All right. And the curious thing is, my dharma. My personal dharma has brought me into situations where I really share with that extreme right wing, ah, they're after us. <laughs> I mean, I know what they think. And I found a lot of evidence of, ah, they're after us. Mm. All right. But that other part of me has gone to the other side. Oh, money, but me, oh, far beyond the encompassing of the, ah, they <laughs> got us. Yeah. All right. And we live in there. Now, I am not afraid of what I have found. I remember I was at a conference 2006. All right. And this was at a very high end financial conference, not conference. These were people who had a lot of money and they were into the gold and silver and stuff like that. And I, I had just started to write. So this is 2007. And this is at a country club in San Diego. Uh, what are you doing? Are you into bonds? This is the kind of people. <laughs> and I'm talking to somebody across from me. And he looks at me and goes, you're that Daryl Shoon? And I go, that's right in these articles. He goes, yes. He says, my doctor has told me to stop reading those kind of articles. Because I'm going to get a heart condition. I'm gonna, it's going to make me crazy. He said, how do you maintain your sanity? And I didn't look at him. I, I never considered losing my sanity over this because mm. I never thought my sanity was at risk. Yeah. I was led there through curiosity. What is going on? Now, my curiosity is really big, Jeffrey. You've known me all these years. Yes. All right. And I have ended up in places that you didn't, but you ended up in places that I didn't expect. You've talked to people that, that are amazing. You've talked to the intellect, the people on the, on the four, on the frontiers of thought and non-thought, a beingness, because of your own personal search and curiosity. Yep. All right. And so I never thought that I was in danger of <laughs> needing medication. <laughs> I'm probably in danger of causing people to take medication <laughs> more than needing it myself. Mm-hmm. But the integration of myself and my own world, I realize the pitfalls. I realize what we can work our way ourselves into. I realize the dangers of focusing on fearful things more than encompassing things. But I also realize the dangers of denial and blindness. And I see it's not my place to tell people to not be blind or not to go into denial. I can understand the need to do so. My patience with those people is real short. Mm. That's why I've talked to very few people. Mm. I talked to very few people. And I knew before I did this series with you, I thought, you know what? I'm probably going to be able to talk to Jeffrey in a way that I don't talk to other people. I can talk to you freely in a way because I don't feel you're trying to get me to go somewhere. Right. Or ask me questions that challenge my basic assumptions. The talk with you is going to be why about certain subjects. Well, I had an intuition that you had some inner wisdom on this particular topic. <laughs> and, and I think that intuition has been justified. Thank you. Because this led to us coming together here. Yeah. After all these years uh-huh. in, in front of a tape recorder, in front of film, in front of all these things, uh-huh. where you have, in your reality, have put yourself and created for yourself a certain agreement that is rather reified. All right? When people watch your stuff, there's a certain element of trust about it. But the same people watched Trump trusting that what he's telling the truth too. Yeah. We've just segmented ourselves out. <laughs> and I believe that the people watching you have developed a certain a great deal of trust in your approach, in your curiosity, and in your openness. All right? And I, like I say, talk to very few people these days. Very few. And I always have. 
because my inclination is <laughs> they're not going to believe this. <laughs> they're not going to believe me. They don't want to believe me. And if they knew about me, they that's even more reason for them to flee. Well, I can I can say this, Daryl. First of all, I love you, man. <laughs> I love you too, Jeffrey. You know, I've, I've known you for uh, longer than I've known my own wife, yeah. and we've been married for over four decades. Yes, yeah. and I've seen you go through ups and downs. <laughs> I think from the very first moment I met you, I trusted you. Mm. And I can tell you this. I've interviewed, you know, well over a thousand Mm. people. I don't recall anybody with more passion. And that's heart. That's Mm. that's what I'm talking about is very similar to what Don Juan Matus told Carlos Castaneda. Follow a path with heart. You have. And, and you're demonstrating it now. And I can tell you this. I'm thrilled that you've come to Albuquerque to be with me. Uh, we've completed four interviews. I hope you come back often again, Daryl. Thank you for the invitation. Thank you for the space to express these thoughts that I have held in myself, that I hold. And thank you for creating a forum where perhaps other people can consider what I have thought about. Thank you, Jeffrey. You're very welcome, and thank you for being with us. 